As we draw closer to Christmas, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, reminds us that Christmas is all about a gift. You know, when someone offers you a gift, what do you have to do, basically, to benefit from that gift? Take it. You have to receive the gift. You have to open it up. And that's really what Christ is telling us this time of the year. He's saying, hey, don't forget that I'm the gift. I'm the gift that God gave the human race. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to today's broadcast. Our time together today returns us back to our theme as we draw close to Christmas. We're looking at the indescribable gift, the gift that God has given us. We would invite you to join us as we understand the significance of this gift and even the simple understanding of what it is to receive a gift and why and how with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Our teacher and pastor now once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with this edition of Graceful Truth. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's just kind of a simple, you might call it a benediction to that whole passage that we read in our scripture reading. I thought in preparation for our time this morning around the communion table that we would just focus a little bit about God's gifts, what exactly that means. It's funny because I don't know if growing up, if you can recall certain gifts that maybe you got when you were a child. I remember one year I got this mini bike and it was an Artie Cat mini bike. My brother worked for Artie Cat Snowmobile Corporation and we had all these demos. And sure enough, one Christmas morning, there was this mini bike under the tree with this big bow on it. I remember just being so excited about that. You know, one of those gifts that you get kind of like once a chance in a lifetime. And, and I remember I was so excited to ride this thing and I had to wait for everybody to open their gifts. And, you know, and I had some other ones, but they didn't interest me as much as this mini bike. And I remember it was kind of a cool, brisk Pennsylvania winter morning out and there was a little bit of ice, but nothing, nothing bad. You know, the driveway was dry and there was some snow around, but for the most part, you know, I didn't care. I was going to buckle up and go out and ride my mini bike. And so we put gas in the gas tank and I, I went down the uh, driveway and I came back up. My brother wouldn't take it for a spin and he was getting on it. He looked and he goes, oh, wait a minute, we got a problem. And the little fuel cock that you turn on, the, on a motorcycle, it was just, fuel was just coming out of this thing and it was broke. And I, you know, and I remember the disappointment thinking, okay, well, and I remember trying to rag around this thing <laughs> and, and trying to take a couple more spins, but it was useless. I mean, I had to get a whole new part. And I remember it took probably two or three weeks to get this part that I needed to ride my mini bike. And sometimes Christmas is, is like that. You know, you get something and then you realize, wow, okay, this is great. I, I'm so excited about this. But then something happens either to the gift or whatever. And it's almost kind of like a, a letdown. In a lot of ways, a lot of times, no matter what we receive at Christmas time, no matter how high the price tag may be on the technological device that we got or anything like that, it generally disappoints you after a period of time. That's just the way it is. Someone once said, the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. <laughs> okay, that's true. A lot of times this time of the year is hard for just different people. You know, so I want to look at the, the aspect of God's gift you know, the greatest gift of all. If you want to have a Merry Christmas this year, if you want to experience Christmas the way it was meant to be, um, you need to understand and embrace the essential message of the season that we celebrate. And that is the message that basically it's, it's Emmanuel, God with us. 
That's, that's what this season is all about. Emmanuel, God with us. But it seems somehow during this time of the year, somehow we forget the essence of that message. It just kind of gets lost. We were recently down at a, a pastor's conference down at Greg Laurie's church, and a pastor who spoke there, Bob Coy, he explained one Christmas they were kind of gathering the family around, and his little boy was going to pray. His little boy's named Christian. And so one night he, he was going to you know, pray with the, the, the folks there around the table or whatever, and the little boy prayed this, And God, thank you for sending your only forgotten son. <laughs> He meant to say begotten son, but he said forgotten son. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, it's kind of cute. But that's what happens at this time of the year. For many people, even Christians, at Christmas time, God's God's son becomes the only forgotten son. That's what happens. Think of this. Say that you're going to have a landmark 50th birthday. And the church is going to throw you a big party. And, you know, it's not a surprise party per se, but it's just a, you know, a party and and everybody's invited and, you know, everybody's getting ready and they have a big cake with your name on it. And they even thought it would be neat to go out and invent songs and write songs using your name and your personality and everything. So they did all that and they learned all these songs. And the day came when, you know, everybody was gathered at this house and you were supposed to be the guest of honor, but Somehow somebody forgot to give you an invitation. So you're home and you're thinking, okay, I know the, I know the party's tonight. And, but, you know, they probably forgot, so I'll just show up. And you pull in the driveway and there's cars and there's people and all these, you know, stuff's going on inside. You see the lights and, you know, outside they have this big sign, happy birthday and your name and everything. And you're going, wow, this is, this is pretty incredible. And so you go up and, you know, you're thinking, well, they won't mind. It's my party. So you start knocking on the door, but they can't hear you because they're singing all these songs that they, you know, made up about you and, and everything. And they're just having a great time in there. And you try to knock and knock and knock and nobody comes to the door. And eventually, you basically just go home. That's what happens at Christmas time. We, we do all this stuff. We decorate. We go shopping, you know, for all the loved ones and even those who aren't so much loved. And we do all this stuff. One of the newest, well, maybe not new for some of you, but I didn't realize how many people actually under the tree, they put gifts for like their animals. Uh, for their dog or cat or whatever. I just thought, what? What? You know, that's just so foreign to me. But I, I thought, well, okay. You know, so everybody's getting in on this thing. But it seems like we have somehow forgot the meaning of Christmas. Forgot the, you know, the presence of his, his presence in his life. We're always focused on what's underneath the tree. And somehow God's only begotten son has become the only forgotten son, especially nowadays. But this real gift that we're going to talk about this morning, the real gift of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not so much about presence under the tree, okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about His presence in your life. We're talking about the presence of Christ in your life. I mean, if you stop and you think about it, it boggles my mind how God could have been a baby, how Jesus could have been a baby. You know, I I think of our little granddaughter, Gabrielle, and I remember when she was just born and, and she needed constant care. She still needs constant care, but, and you'll know why when she gets here, but, um, you know, she's in everything. But she needed to be nursed, she needed to be changed, she needed to be taken care of every minute of the day. You couldn't just let her alone and just say, okay, well, have a nice day, we're coming back at five, you know, we're going to take a break. You can't do that with a newborn. And when I think of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, as this tiny, helpless little baby, Doesn't that just blow your mind? It just kind of fills my heart with wonder, thinking, how could that have happened? How is that possible? C.H. Spurgeon, go ahead and put the quote up there on C.H. Spurgeon. I like what he said. He said, infinite yet an infant, eternal 
yet born of a woman, supporting a universe, yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's son. That puts it beautifully. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. That promise that, that's enveloped in the Christmas message is so very real to most of us. But sometimes it gets kind of shoved to the side and we tend to forget about it. We hear those familiar songs on the radio or whatever brings that remembrance back of those times you're growing up with Christmas and family and all that stuff. And it gives you kind of a, a good feeling in your heart. But you know what? Then you go to the mall and you're trying to find a shopping or a, a parking spot and you're literally fighting with someone over a parking spot or standing in line or, or maybe Christmas morning comes and the gift that you wanted, that you told everybody you wanted, you opened up everything and they didn't get it for you. In general, there's always some disappointment around this time of the year. And it's sad because when it's all said and done, when all the food has been consumed and all the parties are over and all the trees go out on the curb to be picked up by the trash guy, when all that's done, it's not about Christmas presents. It's about, as we said, Christ's presence in our life. The the Bible says that Christmas is not so much about giving a gift as it is about receiving a gift. Paul put it this way in Romans, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on there, and we read it this morning, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, when someone offers you a gift, what do you have to do, basically, to benefit from that gift? Take it. You have to receive the gift. You have to open it up. And that's really what Christ is telling us this time of the year. He's saying, hey, don't forget that I'm the gift. I'm the gift that God gave the human race. And it seems like today, in the day and age we live, in the society we live in, the culture we live in, it's almost like they want to remove the name of Christ from anything having to do with Christmas. It's truly all around us. They have situations up in Washington where they're, you know, I mean, they're putting up different signs and everything just because they want everybody to have free speech so the atheists have theirs right next to the manger, which seems a little uncalled for for me. But I, I just thought, you know, it's kind of silly. In Portland, Maine, there was a site manager for an apartment complex and he put out this uh, statement before Christmas. There shall be no angels, crosses, stars of David, or any other icons of religion displayed on the walls, floors, ceilings, etc. of your apartment buildings except within your own apartment. Kind of silly. Or even the, the grade school principal in Sacramento who was strictly warned his teachers that using the word Christmas on any written materials at all in their classroom was totally forbidden. You know, and you go to the holidays buying, you know, the market, the mall, you, very seldom do you hear Merry Christmas. Usually it's Happy Holidays. They don't want to offend anybody. I just say, hey, just say Merry Christmas to them and throw in a little Jesus loves you too or something, you know, along the thing with a big smile on your face. Because people long to hear that. And when you say it, it almost kind of like, you know, breaks the ice. It's like, wow, okay, that is what this is about. But that's not what this season is about. It's not trying to sterilize and take Jesus, the name of Christ, out of everything that we celebrate. It's almost like he's a missing person this time of the year. It's, it's kind of like the story I heard of a, a little kid who, who ran into a church around Christmas time and he saw the priest standing up there on the altar and saw all these candles up and down the aisle and everything. This little kid didn't know what was going on, so he ran around and he started blowing out all the candles and singing happy birthday to Jesus. Well, obviously, the priest wasn't too happy about that. And later, the priest showed up at the, at the little kid's home. And uh, the mother answered the door and said, Yes, Father, what can I do? Well, I need to talk to your little boy. You know, okay. So she calls him down, and there he is, this little kid, you know, he's 
six or seven, he's standing there and this priest is there and he's angry. And he starts, uh, you know, I, I don't think what you did tonight was, was honoring to God. And the little boy's just standing there, you know. And uh, finally he, he goes, do you know where God is? The little boy's kind of stepped back. Do you know where God is? And he stepped back again. And the guy yelled it again at him. Do you know where God is? The little boy finally just ran up to his room crying. So the priest left and the mother went up to the little boy's room. He said, you know, honey, what's wrong? You know? He goes, Mommy, he goes, God is missing from that church. Somebody stole him and they think it's me. You know, sadly, Christ is missing from a lot of churches and from a lot of celebrations when it has to do with Christmas time. There's a lot of things that it seems that somehow Christ has been sterilized from it. It reminds me in Revelation chapter 2 when the Word of God tells us about losing your first love. And he writes this to a church at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You found them out to be false. Uh, you've preserved and have endured hardship for my name's sake and have not grown weary. And then he says this in Revelation 2. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. What a sobering account to a church. I mean, I'm sure this church was a busy church. I'm sure it was an active church just by what he tells us about it. I'm sure it was even a productive church. They wouldn't tolerate false teaching. They seem to have, from what he says, all their doctrinal ducks in a row. But somehow all their activity, all the work and all the study that they had put in, somehow they lost sight of the very Savior that saved them. And the Lord says to them, you have left your first love. How do you know when you've left your first love? Chuck Swindoll, he said this, you know it when work has taken the place of worship, when perspiration has taken the place of inspiration. That's good. And so this great physician, our Lord himself, writes a prescription for this church in Ephesus for revival. And he says, I want you to do three things. There's three R's of getting right with God. And you know what? This is something that we have to do on an ongoing basis. It's not something you just do when you're saved and that's it. And then you live the perfect Christian life. No, this is something we have to reflect upon time and time again. And what a better time to reflect upon it than Communion Sunday. First of all, you have to remember. Secondly, you have to repent. And thirdly, you have to repeat those things that you did when you first came to Christ. You remember a time in your life, you probably do, when it seemed like you were closer to God than you are right now? For whatever reason. And somehow you're not in that place anymore. You're not as close to God as you were at that point in time. But you can remember what it was like. You can remember the excitement of getting the opportunity to open up God's word. You can remember the excitement of witnessing somebody. You can remember the excitement of, of going to the Lord in prayer, praying for others, going out and witnessing. Maybe you go back and you read through some of your old journals. And you're going, man, where is this joy gone? Where is this love for the Lord gone? I seem to be missing it. We well, have to get back to that. Remember the way it was when you first came to Christ? You remember the, that passion, that excitement? We want to get back to that. When we look forward to being with other believers at church, or when we look forward to getting together with other believers around the Bible study, God's Word, or maybe worship times, it wasn't just something we had to do. It was something we enjoyed doing. You're excited about when you got that time alone with God. It was just you and Him in prayer before the busyness of the, the day started. See, frankly, if those things don't excite you to some degree, if they don't kind of give you a little bit of excitement, man, yeah, that's right. What he's saying is right. There's something spiritually wrong. There's something disconnected in your heart. But as Jesus tells this church, 
He says, first of all, remember from where you've fallen. And then he says, repent. And basically that means change your direction. Change the direction from where you're going. And then repeat those things that you used to do when Jesus was number one in your life. Have we lost sight of Jesus? Have we lost sight of that intimate relationship that he desires us to have? See, what we do, and I put this in your outline, this up on the screen. Don't just try to work him into your busy schedule, but change your busy schedule and make time for him or for God's word. That's what we have to do. Because it's never going to happen if you're just going to take Jesus and try to squeeze him into your busy schedule, especially this time of year. I mean, you know, you got the Christmas dinner, you got relatives, you got to go shop for you, you got this, you got that, you got all the party at work, you got all stuff going on. You know, you're leaving in a couple of weeks to go on a trip and you're packing and doing all this stuff, making a list of all the, the gifts, checking it twice, you know, and out of your nice, the, the whole deal. You just get overwhelmed. And I think it would honor God to take time and, and, and just to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to change my schedule. I'm not going to be a, a slave to my schedule anymore. I'm going to put you right in the middle. And if this doesn't get done first, then it's not going to get done. Jesus tells us that's the way we should be living. Don't lose Jesus this Christmas. Don't lose sight of the the fact that that's why we're celebrating this holiday. That's why we decorate the church. That's why we decorate our houses. My brother Rick sent me an email and it says in the email, my wife's been after me for weeks to put up the Christmas lights. And now that I did, she's a little upset. And then it shows a picture of a wad of Christmas lights, just a big wad of Christmas lights hanging from the, a hook on the front, front porch. That's it. And I thought, boy, that, that definitely speaks to my heart. You know, that's so true. And we tend to lose sight of the celebration that we should be having in our own heart. Sometimes people are pushed to their brink at this time of the year. It just happens. And we have all these false expectations that we're trying to, you know, work toward. It's sad because, you know what, we lose the real point of this whole holiday time. Some people think that, you know what, Christmas time, let the Christians do their little deal. You know, they go sing their carols in the Christmas Eve service and worship Jesus, whatever. That's how unbelievers kind of look at it sometimes. And they kind of look at it as, you know, I don't need Jesus. I'm in control of my own life. I decide what direction I'm going. I'm going to do this and do that. And you know what, beloved? It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. Uh, People who reject Jesus Christ are not in control of their own lives, nor they're making their own agenda. They're not setting their own plan. According to the Bible in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, Paul writes this. He says, Be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas and believe what is true. Then it says this, Then they will come to their senses and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin, which he uses to catch them whenever he likes. And then they can begin doing the will of God. See, you don't realize that when you're an unbeliever. You don't realize that, you know what, you're not setting your own agenda. You're not in control of your own life. You're a slave. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to Satan. He has his way with you. You may not want to believe that, but that's the truth. And it's not so much different than it was in the time of Jesus. I mean, here you have all these religious experts around at the time of Jesus, these theological heavyweights, and they totally, basically missed the whole point because they were trapped in their religion. I mean, Herod called them the wise men, and he asked them, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? They knew the answer. It was in Bethlehem. They could probably quote chapter verse to the evil king. And yet, the religious people of Jesus' day, the supposed guardians of the truth, missed the whole thing. They wouldn't bother even to walk a few miles to Bethlehem to find out if the Messiah of Israel had indeed been born. They just missed it. 
At least Herod feared Jesus' authority when you think about his response. At least the innkeeper could claim that he was busy and ignorant of the, of the whole thing. But a lot of the men, the religious men of Jesus' time, they knew better. They knew the word of God. They did nothing to respond to it. They were indifferent. They were maybe too busy with themselves to be concerned about who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, when Jesus' ministry finally began, his public ministry began, they were the, his adversaries. His chief adversaries were the religious people of the day. It's sad, but... Sometimes Jesus gets lost in all this stuff that goes on. I mean, back then they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. You know, today people are looking for a different kind of Messiah. They really are. They're not looking for a Messiah who would die on a cross for them. They're looking for someone who would support their own religious beliefs. People today, they wanted Jesus, but, but they want him on their, their own terms. They want the kind of Jesus that they can control, the kind of Jesus that they can manipulate, the kind of Jesus that will never challenge them, the kind of Jesus who won't ask them to change their ways. They want heaven, but they don't want to talk about hell. They want forgiveness, but they're unwilling to repent and take that forgiveness. They want a cross to wear around their neck, but they don't want Christ. I'm sure you've heard the story of the lady that goes into the jewelry store. She begins looking at crucifixes. Finally, she asks the juror, can I get this one in gold without that little man on it? Didn't have a clue. That's all around us. We have to stop and we have to say, hey, you know what? What is this really about? Is it something that God wants us to maybe deal with a little differently this time of the year? We don't want to miss it. Remember back in 1903, in December 17th, Wilbur and Orville Wright made their very first flight. It was, I mean, just an epic. Can you imagine flying for the first time? I mean, now we get on airplanes, we don't think anything about it. But back in Kitty Hawk, the first time they ever flew, and after that was completed, they flew for 12 seconds, by the way. After they completed that, he, Wilbur rushed right to the telegraph office with a message for his sister Catherine. And the message said this, We have flown for 12 seconds. We will be home for Christmas. And upon receiving the telegram, Catherine hurried to the newspaper office to speak with the editor, and she described her brother's flying machine and what they accomplished at Kitty Hawk. And she mentioned that Orville and Wilbur would be home for Christmas, and if he'd like to set up an interview, that could be arranged. And the editor smiled and said, oh, I'm sure he'd put something in the paper about it, about the Wright brothers and what they're up to. And so on December 19th, the local newspaper ran the following headline on the sixth page of the newspaper, Wright Brothers Home for Christmas. Talking about missing the point. That's what happens at Christmas time today. People totally miss the point. And we have to, as Christians, just remind people that, you know what? God desires us to look at this indescribable gift and to really open our hearts to it. And to ask God to say, boy, how can I be different this time of the year? Help me not to be like everybody else. There's a lady who was running through a mall, going store to store to store, shopping, just shopping her brains out, trying to get some last-minute gifts on Christmas Eve. And suddenly she realized she didn't have her little boy with her anymore. She had all these packages. She's frantically going back through the mall. And finally, she sees her little boy with his nose pressed up against one of the store windows, looking at a beautiful nativity set. And she runs up to him and grabs him, and he's like, oh, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're supposed to do with me. He goes, I'm just looking at Jesus in the window, Mom. And her response was grabbing by the shoulder. We don't have time for that silly. Let's go. We gotta go get these. Talk about from the mouth of babes. See, we need to stop and, and gaze upon the face of God this time of year. We need to... Stop all the hurriedness, stop all the craziness, and just say, you know what, God, just give me a couple minutes a day, just a couple minutes a day to worship you. 
Our look at the indescribable gift will continue next week here on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We do thank you for joining us here today. And as we move closer to Christmas, it's our hope and prayer that our time together will bring about a clearer understanding of the love of God in Christ and this amazing gift given to us at Christmas. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each and every week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we would love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through to grade five. If you would like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's the phone number, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web. Drop us an email when you do. We're at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. You can also write to us. The address is 2225 Euclid. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. It is our hope and prayers mentioned that our times together encourage you in Christ. If you have questions or comments, prayer requests, maybe you'd like to review today's program again, please do get a hold of us and we'll do our best to accommodate any request you have, especially prayer requests. Again, the phone number is 650-366-9923 and our website, gracefultruth.org. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week as we continue our look at the indescribable gift here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.